For February 28th, 2022, it's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 713. The whole Scottish independence goat farming thing didn't work out. Welcome to Overthinking It, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. The Overthinkers are your smart, funny friends from the internet, never happier than when we are gathering together, uh, enjoying the warmth of one another's company and uh, enjoying the the films, the television, the the books, the music, the the popular culture that we love. Uh, we love it more when we get to uh, talk about it together. I'm Matt Rather. I'm here with my good friends, uh, Pete Fenzel. Hey, Pete, how are you? I'm all right, Matt. How are you doing? I'm doing well, thanks. And and Mark Lee, how are you? Reporting for duty. Back in action. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, it's good to good to have the crew together. Hey, we're going to get into a normal topic, but it it seems um, I don't know. It would seem wrong not to acknowledge uh, goings on in the world right now after the the uh, Russian invasion of of Ukraine. We know we have um, listeners in that part of the world. You know, part of the community. I mean, we, very often we focus on the smart and funny, but don't forget we are friends. <laughs> we are foremost a community of friends, and and uh, we feel for our friends uh, who are in that part of the world, who are uh, in Eastern Europe, who are uh, directly affected by what's going on right now. Or or who are scared because of it, and and um, you know, I uh, man, I I don't know what to say that wouldn't sound trivializing given the immensity of everything that's that's going on. Um, but I, you know, I I hope for your safety, and I I hope for your thriving, and I I hope that uh, uh, I hope for a beautiful future world where we can all watch Fast and the Furious Ten together and uh you know uh, let our let our disagreements about that that masterpiece be uh be the greatest concerns that we have um on our mind uh but you know we'll uh we'll continue we'll go on uh, and do a um do a uh a podcast now uh this this podcast a topic you know we we've been waiting for it a, a certain film opened in movie theaters um uh, before the close of last year and did not hit streaming streaming until uh very very recently now i i think i'm not exaggerating that when i say to my good friend pete fenzel um uh, really more than any religious doctrine or ethic ethical principle or philosophical custom um i i think that that pete uh, is more devoted than any of those than he is to any of those things to the the franchise uh that began with uh kingsman the secret service <laughs> and, you, you know have that low an opinion of you now <laughs> And I think that, you know, I think that I, I remember, I remember when I tried to, uh, to offer some well-meaning critique of the second Kingsman film, uh, Kingsman to the Golden Circle and, and Pete Linden, uh, I mean, if, on a Skype call, but Pete Linden very close virtually. And he said, Matt, you mispronounced masterpiece. <laughs> <laughs> I I remember when that yes. happened. That was a real thing. Yes. That was an actual event that happened. Oh, yeah. And so I am pleased uh <laughs> now that we, that, that we have uh the the consummation um mm. <laughs> of, <laughs> of is every, that what this is <laughs> of of everything that was good uh, about, uh, about Kingsman, the Secret Service and Kingsman 2, the Golden Circle in The King's Man, um, in which, uh, in which, the, you know, Voldemort, um, uh, Tywin Lannister and, uh, the, 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 you know, I don't know, the really kind of wrecked, uh, Commodore from, uh, from the Pirates of the Caribbean franchise <laughs> all reteam to, uh, to do it. So Pete, you know, uh, the, the, the day is yours, sir. What, <laughs> what shall we, what shall we talk about, uh, as we discuss the King's Man? What, what, I... what even is a King's Man? Well, that's a good place to start, I suppose. <laughs> I think that's probably as good a place to start as any. Although we should first and foremost acknowledge that a the King's Man is 
I hesitate to call it the most challenging film in the Kingsman <laughs> franchise. <laughs> so that might be accurate. Well, the the, particular we've, things that, we've entered the difficult middle period. Yeah, yes, yes, yes. Okay, okay, okay. So let me let me actually explain to you kind of what the deal is with this movie, and then let's talk about what a Kingsman is. Because I feel like not everybody will necessarily see it. Uh, you probably should if you enjoy not judging yourself <laughs> then you should probably see Kingsman three because it's on everything. It's on Hulu. It's on HBO max. I think that I saw it. Uh, somebody slipped it underneath the threshold of my door along with a menu to a pizza place. and a dry cleaners. <laughs> It's like, like AOL, like the old AOL CD yes. ROMs. They just come in unbidden at every yes. orifice. The, the King's man is out there and it wants you to watch it. Uh-huh. Uh, so a King, the King's man is a prequel to the Kingsman series and it is the foundational story of the Kingsman organization. And as you may recall from the previous two movies, the first of which is quite good and the second of which is a masterpiece. Uh, <laughs> I want to go back and rewatch it because I loved that movie when I saw it in the theater. I absolutely loved King. You're right that I loved Kingsman 2. I liked Kingsman 1 a fair amount too. Don't get me wrong. But like there's just something about the risk taking and the bizarreness. Uh, so, OK. So like Kingsman 2 is the one where Elton John is karate jump kicking people with a couple of robot dogs fighting him named Benny and the Jet. Right. Right. Like that's that's, uh, yes. that's what's going on. That's fact. True statement. That happened. Yeah, super campy. But the notion behind the whole Kingsman franchise, in case you haven't caught up with it at all, this will be spoilers, I guess, mostly just for the third movie. There will there are some basic facts about what the story is about that will constitute spoilers for the first movie, but they are also in the trailer, right, for the first movie. So the the Kingsman is an independent intelligence organization. And of course, by intelligence, they mean jump kicking, right? Like it's it's like a <laughs> because everyone forgets that the stuff that Bond does that's intelligence is not the stuff that Bond does that is Bond, right? The Kingsmen are a sort of special forces spy, super spy organization that is privately endowed by the fortunes of men who lost their sons in World War One. This is the backstory for the Kingsman organization. With this vast fortune, uh, they, they do the things that the governments won't to try to preserve global peace. It's a concept of a sort of deep state, uh, except it all takes place uh, in the back of slash underneath a tailor shop um, in Seville Row in London. And, and so the idea is that they're very aristocratic, they're very hoity-toity, they're very old world, old school, old money, old establishment, but they're secret and they're kind of funky because they're secret. And the story, the occasion for the story of the Kingsman is that there's a guy from a council building. That's what it'd be called, right, Matt? Like a council development or a council? I think so, but a house? public housing Yeah, uh, public housing project, development, right? Yeah. Kind of rough side of town, right? Kid who comes in and, and is, is sort of blunders his way into the Kingsman organization and is clearly not classy enough to be part of them, but is talented enough to make it and then goes through the sort of process of changing himself and also determining what about himself he will or won't change and what he brings with him. And it's a kind of a, kind of a class conflict. It's really a struggle movie or a struggle story about struggling with the cultural markers that are associated with class and classiness and self-worth and interrogating conventional understandings of them in a variety of ways while jump kicking robot dogs. And, uh, and so it's like the men in black, right? The, the men in black story is not the story of, you know, a bunch of dudes who have already been in the men in black for a long time, who are really bored of it, but still do it led by Tommy Lee Jones, go out and fight aliens, Right. The Men in Black story is the story of Agent J, who is the new guy who comes from the outside of this culture. Uh, and in, I mean, Men in Black and Kingsman are very similar in a lot of ways, especially the suits. This is a fetishization of the suits uh, as this sort of marker of things that are apart, uh, that, but that a person can get into. And when they get into, what happens? Um, so, so the story and the reason you would tell the story of the Kingsman is because you want to tell the story of the outsider who comes into the Kingsman and you want to see it from their perspective because that creates the distance to the Kingsman that is sort of informed by and informs the formality of their dress and speech. Uh, and the whole idea of kind of courtesy, which is very important, is sort of uh, amplified by the distance that the protagonist has from the core heart and ideas of what's going on. This movie throws all that out, right? Because we're going back to the beginning. So rather than have a kind of young, street smart, you know, talented guy 
kind of come into this world as an audience surrogate and show it to you. We're going to go to the old guy who already wears suits all the time, who is going to create this institution in his own image. Right. And and we're going to look at the sequence of events which caused this to happen. Um, you know, spoiler alert. Right. Uh, in the very first movie, they explained to you that the Kingsman organization is endowed by the fortunes of men who lose their sons in World War One. Uh, hands in the podcast who remembered that fact uh, going into this movie, because I sure didn't. No, I didn't. No, I didn't I did remember not, no. the. I didn't know if it like went back to the actual roundtable. And that's why they all had, you know, Camelot uh, code names. Right. Yeah. yeah. I, I totally forgotten that bit of lore. But if we had forgotten it, we probably would have noticed that the protagonist introduced at the beginning of this movie was not going to live to the end of it right so so whereas the other kingsman movies there is death there is a lot of gore there's a lot of ultra violence that's often presented in sort of a campy way it's a it's a sort of uh you know vertigo comic book vibe i don't know the actual publisher of the kingsman comics i should have looked it up but it's it's definitely that sort of edgy violent comic book vibe that's being played out in the first two kingsman movies and so in this one you know, there's violence, but like there's and there's sort of crazy offbeat campy things. But the the because we don't have the sort of, uh, you know, interrogation of the vi- of the like classiness by the unclassiness. Instead, it's sort of longitudinally spaced out in the middle movie. Right. Where like one part of the movie is like kind of funny. One part of the movie is really kind of academically very smart and complicated and, and interesting and has a lot of complicated jokes. One part is like kind of a porno. <laughs> like with, <laughs> and then another of it is like incredibly sad. <laughs> right? Like and a like hardcore war drama. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Like they just took like 25 minutes of 1917, cut the budget by 90% and just <laughs> and just threw it in this movie. Like, like, you remember the, the scene where the boys all jump out of the trench and all get immediately gunned down unceremoniously? There were like 25 of them, I think. Right. And it's like ah, they could kind of could have splurged a little more on the extras for that one. And they sort of pan out like, oh, look at the scope of all this horror. But I guess it was probably filmed during COVID. So they could only get like five guys to stand next to each other. Uh, it's kind of suffering maybe from uh, Captain Falcon syndrome, but uh, which is not COVID itself, but the, the illness that causes movies <laughs> plots not to make sense during COVID. <laughs> but, but OK, OK, OK. I'm getting away from myself. Right. So so the story is actually pretty interesting. And I thought the first act of the movie was like engaging and intriguing and kind of bringing you into a story that seemed kind of cool. And, and like it had a form that was novel. Right. Which is uh, Ray Fiennes plays a former war hero who has sworn himself to pacifism because he was so horrified by his all quiet on the Western front moment of killing someone in combat. Right. Uh, and he's decided to, to, as a sort of patrician, you know, a patron of, uh, and a sort of, and a Duke, he's going to, uh, in, you know, support the red cross and he's going to go on international missions of mercy to try to further the interests of humanitarianism with his wife who is fridged before the movie uh, sheds its uh, downy, you know, it's down, it's down from its first hatching, right? Uh, she is fridged for character development in a concentration camp. So you know this is what it's going to be like, right? Um, this, is, this is a movie that starts by going to the first concentration camps in the, in the Boer War in South Africa uh, and has Ray Fiennes stare at them in horror. It's sort of a tour of Ray Fiennes' past movies. <laughs> you just sort of watch Ray Fiennes stare in horror at different movies that he was in. And like, uh, oh, this woman is holding me. Is this the English patient? What have I done? Where's my nose? Uh, no, no, he doesn't get that far. But um, but yes, it's and it follows the story of him trying to get his son not to go to World War One, while at the same time trying to prevent World War One from happening, uh, which you think is going to lead to some sort of like, oh, they'll make the Kingsmen and they'll figure out how to prevent wars in the future or something. But instead, his son just gets ganked, right, by his own man. And it's brutal. Uh, anyway, I'm getting away from it. Let me, I'll, I'll pitch it back to you and I'll say that the Kingsman is, uh, what did we say, three movies? Yeah. I, I would say it's four, it's, I mean, it's, it's four movies in the sense that the last movie is kind of a recapitulation of the first movie. Um, to an extent, and that it is a one, it is a sort of campy, stylishy, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen historical fiction work about a bunch of famous people who were involved in World War One actually being part of like a Dr. No caliber supervillains 
plans to ruin the world. Led by, led by a Scottish separatist. Yes, led by a – so apparently Scottish separatism is so important that the entire world is at its mercy and so well-funded, right? Right, that, so the, well that the, the assassination of Archduke Ferdinand was masterminded by a Scottish yes. separatist. Yes, you see, it's you turn the crank and snap the plank and you watch the boot kick down the chute. It rolls, it hits the pole, it's and it knocks the ball, the rub a dub Let me just jump in here real quickly. And I, can do a can. What? What's up? I, I, just had an, I just had a thought that okay. helps make some sense of this because like a lot of this movie is nonsense, including this like <laughs> Scottish nationalist, uh, you know, Dr. No or Blofeld-esque supervillain sort of thing going on. This has got to be a commentary on Sean Connery okay. and his Scottish nationalism, right? Like, that's the only explanation I have for it. It's like, otherwise, like, why on earth make that be the big evil plan? I mean, for me, it felt like DuckTales. Like, it just felt like this is just, I'm Flint Harp Glamgold, and I'm going to get all the treasure. <laughs> he's like, he's Pyrish, right? He's, he's Celtic, but he's Pyrish. Uh, <laughs> but I like, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, the the... You know, the first speech when he has them sitting at the long table of evil, the long like conference table of evil. The long table of evil, yes, yes, yes. You know, that like, uh, it is good. I mean, that there are evil organizations to keep furniture makers in business because, you know, as, um, as a a kind of pandemic fueled realignment in office space, uh, happens and we all, you know, we find that like what an office is, uh, what a place of employment is, is kind of reconfigured and maybe there's less commercial real estate, you know, um, and this, this huge asset class just sees a, a ton of destruction in, in value. I'm glad that someone is going to keep the makers of long, shiny conference tables in yes. business. Um, so that, you know, they're, they can, uh, you know, sit, sit down and pass their, their cyanide rings, um, <laughs> down, you know, you, down. you also need to have an in-person meeting so you can pound the table in unison together as you celebrate the, the hatching of your evil plan. It was well, like, can't, think, can't do that over Zoom. It was a lot of, a lot of good people, you know, around, uh, around the the that conference table so you know he leans into them and says in his his scottish accent you know life is like a hurricane (laughs) here in goatberg and he says goatberg because there are goats uh there are goats all around and i'm i'm reminded pete uh of uh the passage in the gospel of matthew the parable of separating the sheep from the goats Um, And that is, uh, you know, certainly, um, you know, one of several biblical allusions that are, you know, that are operating here. So, okay, Yeah. yeah, So so this is the story. It's a it's a it's a like a League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, I think, captures it well. It's a, you know, secret agent type of uh, shadowy cabal uh, World War One fanfic, you know. And, and and is tonally is like is tonally all over the place. I mean, say 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 what you will about the first Wonder Woman, but it stood in consistent distance from the horrors of war, right? And that like the the um the whole thing about Diana like one marveling at the the human capacity for you know i don't know beauty and love and care and also the human capacity for uh destruction and greed and and um you know inhumanity to to one's fellow humans that that played out in that that was consistent throughout the thing i i don't know i'm put i'm reminded of of uh what the uh uh, Gil Cates, the who is a professor of mine in in drama school, said to me th- that said to the class that that uh, style is a consistent distance from reality, right? And in in one the first Wonder Woman movie, you had a, a depiction of World War One that was like at a consistent distance from reality. It still is a superhero movie, still is a comic book movie. You know, you still have a. Uh, you still have a, a scene where she like goes over the top, charges into no man's land, you know, uh, uh, what deflecting bullets away with her, 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 what are they called? Wristbands. Uh, <laughs> and, bracers, I believe. Oh yeah. yeah. I think that's what those, those, that garment is called or uh, bracers. Yeah. Got it. 
Okay, mm-hmm. well there you go. And pew pew pew, all the all the the bullets fall at her feet. You know, Neo in the Matrix style. And like th- that's okay, but because it was like it was a consistent distance from from reality. Here, where you have a like a really really brutal twenty minute sequence of trench warfare, um, kind of set against, bookended by the the uh the po- the poem dulce decorum est about the horrors of war you know the the kind of thoroughgoing mechanized war that uh europe had not had not seen and like the awfulness of trench warfare and the you know the piling up of the dead uh and the the um you know the horror of like injury and and all of that and and then uh and then there's a um and then like uh Rasputin gives uh gives Rafe finds a beach and does like a Cossack dance uh while being swiped at with uh with like machetes and stuff. I those two things don't bel- that's not a consistent distance from reality. <laughs> yeah. That's not that's not uh you know, I don't know. Um get, like Rasputin uh Man, I'm sorry. I've I've completely lost. I've completely lost track well, of it. Yeah, let, let me let me let me ask you. It's a, has it's has a, anyone? Sorry, I'm sorry. It's it's, a, it's just a mess. Not not yeah. only when when uh, you know Rasputin gets up from uh, from whatever it was he was doing down there, but uh, you know, uh, fair enough. It seems to to have worked. So maybe he was a holy man, and we shouldn't have shot him in the head. <laughs> oh, so who is it? Have either of you guys seen Rasputin, Dark Servant of Destiny? This is a no, this is no a, but I have seen Anastasia. I mean, it's, it's got to be yeah. right. <laughs> so this movie is halfway between those two, right? <laughs> so Rasputin, Dark Servant of Destiny, is like a steamy drama made for, I believe, made for HBO. Uh, although maybe not. Maybe I just saw it on HBO. That starred Alan Rickman as Rasputin, as sort of like sexy Ooh. Rasputin, and uh, and Gre- what is it? Greta Scad. Ian McKellen is in it as well as Tsar Nicholas. Uh, so it's it's a while ago. Um, and, and I remember it sort of being like the forbidden, you know, feelings and impulses and stuff. So, like, this movie kind of at times feels like a pretty not on the nose, but like very broad and almost like Punch and Judy-esque parody of the Alan Rickman sexy Rasputin movie. right? Because Rasputin in this movie, who is played by uh, uh, Luna Lovegood's dad from Harry Potter, right? Reese uh, Evans, yeah. Who puts in quite a performance. Like he puts in, I mean, his performance in this character is definitely something, right? It is, it is, it is intense. It was one of the, it was one of the high it, points of the movie for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah and yeah, very yeah. much in keeping with what you expect out of a Kingsman movie. Yes, uh, going yes. and having seen the first two. Yeah, so he's like super gross and gangly and nasty and dirty, not sort of like sweaty and rustic, right? And he like has sort of hypno sex powers and also likes to eat pastries in a disgusting manner while rubbing your thigh. So it's this really just like creepy, crawly, terrible, awful, ridiculous uh, parody of uh, of this sort of subversive figure. Um, that, that's, and they really, I mean, that scene where they kill him. So, okay. So the scene where they kill Rasputin, this is where I thought the movie was going. And I thought it was really interesting and fun that it was doing this, right? Because they, the killing of Rasputin is a very well-documented event, uh, in terms of like people talking about it, not necessarily the primary sources. I'm not sure about that, but like, you know, he was shot. He was, you know, he, he, he was poisoned. He was shot. He was beaten, right? Like he was, and he was ultimately drowned, right? And that's kind of how Rasputin ultimately died. And so you watch the Kingsman through a series of events that did not happen, such as like Rasputin hypno-seducing Ray Fiennes, right? Like, um, and like gorging himself on their Secret Service assassin cake, right? Uh, You know, but you see the beats of the assassination of Rasputin play out almost as if you're watching like a static time loop. Like it's a time travel movie where a bunch of nonsense traveled in the past, but can't actually change anything. So all the events have to happen the way that they happen, but they just happen for completely different reasons. The other moment that was like, that was the, the I thought it was really funny when, um, Oh, I mean, Matt, you know, assassins better than I do. What's that guy's name? Um, the guy who shot Franz Ferdinand. 
Oh, I I Not know Assassins band. better than you do. I thought you meant the Stephen Sondheim musical. Assassins. Do no, it's about the assassinating American presidents. Oh, so he's not in it. Okay. No, it's it's only okay. Assassins of American presidents. I played Never John Wilkes Booth, by the way, when when we <laughs> did it as a little project in high school. The, the assassin's name was Gavrilo Princip. Yeah, so Gabriel Princip, right. So so it is true that he like chucked a grenade at this dude, right? Or tried to get him in his carriage with a grenade and failed and then was like, well, that sucks. My, my, I was terrible at that and just like went to a coffee shop and chill, chilled out. And then the guy happened to drive past him and then he shot him. But like the the detail that he was ruminating at the coffee shop about taking the cyanide pill given to him by his goat raising Scottish separatist overlord who is simultaneously organizing the Russian Revolution. Uh, that is that is not what happened. But like that moment where he's like he has that moment of rumination in the cafe. I just I had to pause it because I was laughing and explain to Sarah like what was going on. Well, I thought like, that like, I mean, it's like the the it's really the, the whole thing, you know, it really. World War One comes down to Scottish nationalism. You know, comes down, really, because like actually, the Bolshevik re- Revolution was not part of the original plan. You know, and like when so this was like Plan B or Plan C. Yes, to yes, get yes. you know, okay, Lenin, okay, fine, go have the Russian Revolution. Yes, you know. Uh, and the, uh, you know, do, do your thing and, and fine. You've, I know you've been at me at this for a while, Vladimir, you know, <laughs> finally we'll fund your project. It looks yeah. like there's some open budget, yeah. right? We'll, we'll fund your, but like, but yeah, you've been okay. looking, you've been looking for sponsorship for a while for this in the organization. You know, yeah. <laughs> so okay, good, but but that's just because other things, uh, other things don't work, and the uh, the the who is it like Matahari seducing Woodrow, Woodrow Wilson, Wilson. <laughs> who is played as Lyndon Johnson, yep, by like. By, like- yeah, some guy who looks like LBJ. Yeah. That like, uh, yeah, that that. Uh, yeah, because because Wilson was kind of like a buttoned-up businessman-looking guy, right? He wasn't like a, a. He was a minister. He was a he was a minister and a college president. He wasn't like a jowly, uh, good time fella, you know. I, no, he I, was a skinny racist. <laughs> <laughs> the worst, the worst kind. No, all kinds of racists are equally bad. Um, the uh, he, he spoke with a very strong transatlantic accent, I believe. Like he was very, he was, he was an upper crusty dude. Yeah, he did not talk with a Texas accent. No, he was because he was not Lyndon Baines Johnson. Yeah, no, he's from Virginia. I guess he was from Virginia. So um, that that um. Yeah, that that like all all these things are just put into well, we have to, you know, we can't have America enter World War One because then uh, England will get reinforcements and Germany will be the point is to have Germany, uh, Germany defeat England. Why Scottish separatism? Wait, uh, Russia has to exit the war. You know, okay, so we're gonna we're gonna try this thing with Rasputin. No, Rasputin doesn't work. Okay, Lenin, you go get Russia to exit the war. Why uh, we need Germany to beat England? Why Scottish separatism? Right. The right, the whole thing. Whole, the the you know, look, the, the we're gonna shoot Archduke Franz Ferdinand, and then like a complicated set of treaties and alliances are going to come <laughs> into play. Right, uh, yeah. Europe is going to be engulfed by total war. Uh, the the on a scale and, and brutality of which the world has never seen why scottish separatists <laughs> this is all for those who haven't seen this this is all played totally straight <laughs> it, it is not lampshaded for its yeah. ridiculousness okay maybe a tiny tiny little bit right by like the the, the comedy with the the comedic bit where um friend uh, the 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 uh, the three main leaders right the king um the kaiser and the czar are all played by the same actor and like, oh, and also I like, realize, I didn't realize that. yeah, because they're all cousins, right? Because they share the same, same grandmother. He's the guy. It's um, Tom. It's Tom Hollander from uh, Pirates of the Caribbean at World's End and oh, Pirates at the Caribbean on Stranger Tides and Pirates of the Caribbean. Actually, I'm not sure how many of those he's in. Yeah, they so, can yeah, the, afford the, Johnny Depp to play Patan. So the, the, so the point, isn't for. <laughs> the broader point being that, like, you know, these are the ostensible stakes, broader stakes for the uh, for for the movie. It is extraordinarily convoluted and and difficult to follow. So then we are instead left to become more invested in the personal aspect of the story. Which, so let's can we talk about that 
Yeah. Second. This seems like a good enough place as any. So, let's have a okay. let's have a whipsaw tonal shift at this point because yeah. it sure so, would, would be an imitative form moment. Let's let's yes. go. Let's take that you know 20, 20 minute low budget chunk of nineteen seventeen to plop it into the middle of this <laughs> conversation. All right, um, I'll, I'll kick us off, Mark. Bent double like old beggars under sacks, knock kneed, coughing like hags. We cursed through sludge till on the haunting flares we turned our backs and towards our distant rest began to trudge now uh distant rest there is death it's not uh not uh you know a, a nice cozy cot uh back in the in the fortifications back there no it's death okay off you go too much this gravitas is, i can't handle this it's funny because this is a movie that shows the quote dolce et decorum est pro patria mori at a church and I lean in and I was like, hey, Sarah, do you know what that says? Like, that's from a famous poem about needlessly dying in World War One. And then in case you didn't get it, read the poem to you. Right. Like right after. And you say, Mark, go ahead. Well, his go son ahead. sends it to him. And I'm sorry, Mark. I'm sorry. Oh, I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry. OK. So just to briefly recount the, the details of this and, and not 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 all the details of it. Sorry. Like the broad outline of the plot. Right. Is that, you know, Ralph Fiennes, you know, is, you know, so adamant about protecting his son, not having him go to the front lines. And his son, Conrad, really wants to go fight the good fight and, you know, earn his valor in battle and all those kind of stuff. And um, the king actually tries to pull a string to get um conrad to come back home but conrad instead like goes through great lengths to not only um remain at the battlefront but also then volunteer for extraordinarily difficult mission a secret you know a special mission um like you know just like just horrors of war death all around him everybody's dying he finally accomplishes the big mission makes it back into the trench and is shot by one of his fellow soldiers because of a mix-up of identity. Um, and uh, I, 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 my, my middle reaction, my reaction to this uh, in the middle of watching the movie, I, I posted on our Slack channel, said, I, I'm a two-thirds of the movie, and what the <laughs> hell? <laughs> yeah, it's a Prince and the Pauper situation where the rich kid assumes the identity of a poor kid in order to go to the front because everyone's trying to protect him. And then one of the poor kid's friends sees him, thinks he's a spy and murders him in like slow motion with a shot to the head. Yeah. Right? And I, I should have seen it coming. It, it is. Like, he should have, too. He's right in front he of him. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There you go, Pete. Well, you, never, you, you never see the one that gets you, Pete. Yeah. That's yeah. Right, yeah, you know. exactly. It is telegraphed in all the ways that we, we described and, and then some. And yet, like, I just could not accept. Um, my my brain was having such a difficult time. Yeah. The so brutal- sad and brutal. Yeah, the brutality of it and the and the poignancy of it as well too. Like now, to be fair, right in the original first Kingsman movie, like you know Colin Firth, you know ostensibly dies, and like there is you know an a emotionally earned moment of uh, of sadness of, of grieving uh, in the story at that point. But this was just like at a whole other level, um, and you know to use that definition of style, right? Consistent distance from reality. Um, you know this is just like shot off the chart in terms of uh, a, a you know a difference from reality at least in that emotional uh emotional investment level let's put it that way like you know there's like different scales of reality right in terms of like you know um uh action and um, violence and things like that but emotion here was just like bzing. this is not the same movie where someone like projectile vomits cake right but it is it, 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 it is someone projectile vomits cake and then after after, the after like uh, magic gay porno scene he <laughs> heals he inexplicably heals a, a, a bullet wound uh, to a leg yeah. now to be fair he doesn't actually give ray fines a beach he just like it gets real close <laughs> it gets like for all intents it's metaphorically expressed but anyway yes right this is a there's this really intense and 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 you know what if the movie had just stayed there it would be really weird and bad probably or at least like off-putting and bothersome. Um, but it doesn't. It comes back to the silly, right? It, yeah. it, it like it, that's that's maybe the most confounding because it's one thing to be like, "Ha ha, we are a, a gallivanting, romping group of of super spies who refer to ourselves as the Knights of the Round Table, and like we're gonna sneak in, you know, undercover and 
and then oops, you know, sure. oops, and- our young young kid just got murdered, right? <laughs> Uh, that's what happens but, when you stay right. undercover in the but military. That, that first that first act belongs to the rest of the franchise. You know, it's re- mm-hmm. it's really the middle act that doesn't belong to the rest of the film or the uh, or the yeah. rest of the the franchise. Um, and and yet you can't you can't say that it isn't touched with some sort of comic book uh ness like the the when conrad gets shot you go from from immediately from like a very kind of gritty almost like i can't remember if it was handheld but that that sort of style where you feel like you're right with them in the like the bustle and the 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 disorientation and the you know um all the kind of like the bad sensory experiences of being in the trenches to to a shot that's like framed way way out from the side you know you see both people and uh the slow motion shot and it becomes you know it sort of becomes graphic uh and and i don't mean i don't mean uh graphic in the sense of graphic violence i don't mean lurid or ex- explicit i mean it becomes graphic design right um sure. yeah. and that's the king's that's the that is what belongs to the to the rest of the franchise like things you know the kind of the graphic design or the end at the at the end when he's shout when um he's uh uh fighting when voldemort is fighting uh, lady mary's husband from downton abbey right the <laughs> the uh should have brought his car <laughs> Right. Yeah. How would you get it up? How how did they get that conference table up there? Those th- I mean, the, <laughs> those things are are how do really heavy. Get down. Yes, exactly. It's it's actually this is it actually is a retelling of Up. Yeah. Right. Exactly. I think, I think, yeah. It really feels like they're at Paradise Falls for sure. But anyway, sorry, you were saying something but, about but, goat murder. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. The the um. Oh God, we we have we're gonna have a chance to talk about another Leonard Cohen song, which is the story of Isaac. Uh, the uh, yeah, that that like the scenes when he's having the sword fight. Do you notice the scenes that were like the GoPro camera connected to the the hilt of the sword, so that you saw the yeah. blade, you know the blade? Oh, that was, yes. that was cool. I like. That. I thought it was cool. And again, it's like a comic book. It's a comic book shot right and and actually less effective in a film because in a film you can't just have that that graphic thing you could put that in a panel or probably a full page uh, of a comic book where it's like your perspective is like from the the hilt of the sword right down the sword and you kind of see what the sword sees but you have you can kind of take your time and like visually decipher that when you add motion uh to it and you add time you know uh all of a sudden the you, you add time to to films because motion has a beginning middle and an end and so it has a duration and that like that duration is very short in the case of of uh, sword fighting with like flick 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 of the of the blade um that that like it's it's a little difficult to read but that's another like comic book uh graphic moment there are you know i don't know there are other ones in in the film and like that's that's the as much as the silliness that the kind of the stylization is what uh the the stylization of the violence and the stylization is is kind of what belongs to this uh, what belongs to this other world, and really, what what happens is we kind of drop out of the, we drop out of the middle of it for this long, you know, for this this long um, interlude in which we go to the first war. Bookended, as I say, by by Wilfred Owen's Dulce et Decorum Est, which is like the the I don't, it's in a, a letter that Conrad sends to Voldemort. And like when he does the, the Prince and the Popper switch, he sends the, the guy home with a letter, the, the young man who's, whose place he takes with a letter. And the, the letter has that in it. And it's what, if you're going off to fight World War One out of some sense of, of duty, you know, out of some like sense of like the nobility of your, of your sacrifice and of service to your country, why do you send your dad that poem? You know? Especially if it was written four years after the after event of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of a hindsight is twenty twenty poem, right? He's is not that, like, hey everybody, don't go out and do World War One, uh Dolce et Decorum. You know, yeah, like, right. <laughs> no, it's definitely like, man, doing World War One was bad. We should not have done that. It was bad. Yeah. Um but yeah, no, I, I hear what you're saying. It's uh it's definitely there's definitely a comic book aesthetic. There's a there are unifying concepts 
in this movie. I mean, one of them is, of course, Abraham and Isaac and sacrificing your son versus keeping goats. <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> OK, for those who haven't seen the movie, <laughs> you've heard all of this, right? You've heard about the assassination of the Archduke Franz Ferdinand. You've heard about again and again the sort of. Uh, you know, the, the kind of Grizzly Adams sexuality of Rasputin that, that kind of skinny bears its way through the midsection of this movie. <laughs> like, like uh, I was like, who's playing this? Joe Wilkinson? But anyway, um, but 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 what you might not guess after the brutal murder of a child in sort of semi-stylized manner after the 1917 section is that the archvillain is going to be assassinated by a goat that he's raised as revenge for disfiguring the goat's horn. The goat is apparently intelligent and capable of vengeance, such as the, the fish in Jaws the Revenge, which I believe is the movie that Michael Caine said built him a wonderful house, right? Like the movie's terrible, but the house is exquisite or something like that. But yes, yes, the Kingsmen go to all this trouble to kill this guy and find him and like foil his plan. But he is actually uh, he is the emperor is Darth Vader by a disgruntled, uh, uh, you know, um, what is it? Chevra producer. Right. He gets Chevron. Um, <laughs> is there another? What's the word? They are. Are they uh, are they're not AP OP? What's the Latin root for goat? Oh, oh, I don't know. Oh man. Um we'll have to we'll have to figure that out. At yeah, some goat point. in, in oh, Cap- a Capricorn, right? Oh, right, Something of like course. A, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's he gets Frank Caprid. Um but but he gets goaded by the greatest of all time. But yes, anyway, uh which is like a pratfall, right? It's just like, whoa. But but the moral of the story there is okay, so this brings us back to the idea of what it is to be a king's man, I think. Maybe that brings. Oh, us- good. Finally, we're we're about to answer the question to. Okay. Uh, that, Are we going that to complete the golden with? circle? Such as we'll complete world? the golden circle. So, so why would you have a king? This that's the first question. What's the reason? <laughs> oh, Mark, <laughs> the golden Mark. circle. That's when Rasputin eats it. <laughs> <laughs> eats a tart. Eats a trickle tart, <laughs> laced with yes. cyanide. From here on out, every subtitle of a Kingsman movie is a Rasputin sex act, right? That's, that's, that's <laughs> um, so. I mean, so, it's, they're not not the Secret Service. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, okay. all right, all right. <laughs> okay, so why would you have a king? Is the question. What's the main reason that you would have a king? Like, can anyone say what the main well, reason anybody well, has? A because king? He, you know, because for, he for, God ordained that that there be a king and that it be this guy. Really? Is that why? Yeah, Mark, that's why, why do you think people have a king? <laughs> provide uh, organized society to provide protection against enemies. Really? Do you think that's why people have a king? Do you think that's why that's, people have a king? It's a reason. Here's why I think people have a king because they had a king before, right? Like you have a king, <laughs> you have a king now because you had a king in the past, and there was some sort of reason that you got a king in the past that had to be sort of retroactively justified, right? Like, oh, you know, this the reason that Britain has a king is because the barons had to pick a guy to organize the resistance against the Vikings or something, right? Like, whatever. Um, and there yeah, was one like person, said, yeah. like, but, but, but then it's like, oh, yeah, but they also have a king because God ordained it. They also have a king because of constitutionalism. But the main reason you have because a king... Because of the sword and the lake and whatnot. Yeah, but the main reason you have a king is because you didn't get rid of it, right? Like, you kept the king. You didn't get rid of the king because the world's constantly changing. Well, and to be fair, England did try to do that. And that didn't take, though. Well, yeah, yeah. But like, but why is an interesting question to yeah, ask. Yeah. Um, I mean, there are a lot of complicated answers to that question. Why? What are the what are the downsides of getting rid of your king? Um, and I think one of the downsides and maybe I'll go out on a limb here because I'm not a monarchist myself. But I think one of the potential downsides of getting rid of the king is a is a, the crown. Right. As an entity provides certain sort of guarantees that are based on traditional relationships that might not have a first principle backing them up. Right. I mean, this is me going back to my David Bromwich, Matt. This is me going back to my like uh, literature of the 1790s. And the notion of, you know, government by first principle being a kind of novel concept, the idea that your your way of organizing your society should have a syllogism, right? It should make sense. You should be able to go through and logically explain why your country is the way that it is. You should start yeah. off with some truths that you hold to be self-evident. You mean? Uh, yes, yes. Yeah. And then from there, extrapolate, build out the way your society should be organized. That's not how kings work, right? Kings are there because of tradition, right? And, and the notion of tradition as a um, – a, a discourse of power, a binding and a connecting force, and also a sort of bunch of stuff that you happen to have lucked into over time if it's good. Sure. Uh, that you might not have been able to create yourself 
if you had been thinking about it. You, right? you, um, in, in other words, you want me on that throne. You need me on that throne. Yeah, you, yeah, 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 yeah. But like the king, but the king in the um, like the Burkean king is disinterested, right? The sort of like the conservative ideal of a, an aristocrat is somebody who uh, you know has a certain amount of power and wealth and privilege, but is is sort of made sufficiently happy by the system that they don't use it to interfere in anybody else's life, which again, I wouldn't necessarily defend as the way to organize things, but I think it's a concept that's useful in talking about what I think a king's man is um, and what the king's men do, because the 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 concept that's advanced in this movie is that governments are not capable of moral it, I want to hesitate to say agency because it's an oversimplification, but the governments that that are pursuing a course of action because of its coherence are not going to be capable of a moral coherence while they do it, an ethical coherence, right? You might feel like you have to go to war and feel like you should go to war, and then when you go to war, it turns out to be really terrible, and, but you had to do it, right? And and so everything kind of get put got put into motion. And I mean, I, I don't mean to relate too directly to the events of the day, but the notion being that, like, once the war has started, going back and kind of philosophically musing about how it would have been great if the war didn't start, right, has its limits, <laughs> you know, the, especially if you were the one being shot at, right? Uh, and there's a there's this pretty severe limit on your expectations for, for what you think people might be capable of in that kind of situation. And a lot of it is, is at least in the case of the Kingsmen, uh, being uh, the 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 justification that the kingsmen give to you for what they do is that the sort of mechanization of society, right? The the, the mechanization of uh, of the weapons of war, the mechanization of the institutions of government, the technologification of discourses of power, which is very uh, different from the analog discourses of power that come from the fine suits that the kingsmen wear, right? Like the idea that. Manners maketh man is this notion that tradition and courtesy have a relationship with character and intention and behavior and outcomes, uh, which is not how modern governments work. Modern governments, even when they work well, are supposed to be trying to accomplish something. Right? They're they're supposed to be trying to like advance some sort of key interest. Or if at the very least the the welfare of the people who live there, but a lot of them that's not their key interest, right? There's a lot of different key interests that they try to extend. And so the Kingsmen are looking at life from the perspective of what did we arrive at that was good and that was taken away from us, right? And and then also if you're in a position to do something to change the course of history or to prevent something from happening or cause something to happen, you know, um, What's your obligation to do it as somebody, you know, who has the means to do so, I suppose. Uh, I don't know. Does that make sense as a sort of like a king's man is somebody who doesn't who is a sort of intervener who who uh, has a sort of idyll based on tradition of the sort of the good life uh, that does not hold up to first principles, but that seems to have its own wisdom. Got it. Um, so so what you're saying is that like the, a, a king's man, Pete, is like one of these one of these folks who like um who teaches like a great books course at a research university <laughs> right sure. and is just like uh, is just appalled at how the university is completely enthralled to donor money and to like the the creeping scientism of like data and you know the instrumentalization of a college education because no one understands the value of anything anymore and so you know you write like long really you know really pissed off monographs about you know how like everything used to be uh about the good life and like how you know self knowledge is the only form of knowledge worth pursuing or or uh something 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 and you uh you know you teach all of these classes without any specialization in any of the things oh. you, you 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 teach you teach you teach dante without knowing a word of italian you teach uh, homer without reading a word of greek and you and you do this except uh in, instead of doing this, um, they have like a, a secret underground spy lair uh, where they, you know, have a lot of weapons and, and uh, you know, go to war on behalf of the world. Well, obviously they know Greek. They went to English public school. Come I mean, on. It, it, is, it is demonstrable, right? At least looking at the past that at some point wearing very nice clothes meant you had real power, right? Like <laughs> – 
<laughs> right? Like, and I mean, you might even say it's the case now, but we just pretend that it isn't. Sure. Um, no, that it is. All, but also, the clothes are different. You know, they're not in the. You know, the 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 points of those those suits. I mean, it, it's interesting. Like the the suits get are in in at the time in World War One. You know, the the um the uh this is sort of still kind of pre Downton Abbey a little bit. So this is still, you know, white tie and tails for dinner uh at mm-hmm. the fancy at the fancy houses time. So these clothes are not fancy clothes. They're just clothes. You know? <laughs> and they're they're like um you know in the in in the same way that what would I, what would I wear to 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 work in a business casual office now like a you know a pair of dockers and a and a button down shirt you know something right. like that like that's that's just that's just what what these are but they sort of become right they they take on um they take on the uh they take on the meaning of like fancy clothes or of like sticking to a time long past and the kind of the clothes can't change, you know, in, in, so you get a, now it's, it's just, it's not, it's not practical for me to have a Savile Row tailored suit. Like I sit at a computer all day. It's not, you know, it's not like it doesn't, it wouldn't make sense. It is not appropriate for my, uh, for my line of work. I own one pair of sweatpants and a, uh, you know, (laughs) And then a it bunch is not of cold where you live, and a bunch of uh, American Apparel uh, tribal and T-shirts that I keep rotating through because no one makes them anymore. And uh, when these fall apart, I'm going to have to find a different shirt. And that that day will not be, you know that that is the day that England will fall, uh, Pete. I think. <laughs> Matt, that- if you were to if you were to tell me right now on a scale of one to ten, where would you rate your self respect? <laughs> <laughs> like like 25 my man oh, that's like really? i'm like oh. you know that's this <laughs> you know why i don't dress up because i don't have to dress up <laughs> all right all right so you're eggsy is what you're saying it's what i when i when i you know when i walk the dog right wearing uh wearing a mismatched pair of slippers uh you know d- gym shorts and uh and yesterday's t-shirt uh and you see me it's because i don't have to impress you that's uh, <laughs> that's why. No, I, I, I don't know. Look, I mean, look, look. I don't know about you guys, but when I go into the office for my very important meeting where I pound the table, I wear my best Scottish tartan patterned outfits. Okay. Was he so, wearing like, like pajama pants, the villain of this movie? <laughs> yeah, yeah, he kind of was, right? <laughs> he wasn't wearing a kilt, but he was wearing a tartan, right? Was it a kilt or – I feel like they only showed him from the waist down a couple times. He was wearing proper pants at the end, for sure. Yeah, um, I was. I was really wishing it was going to be Ewan McGregor, but then I thought it was going to be David Tennant. But then it turned out to be a character from the movie, which was the lamest option. <laughs> yeah, it's, well, there was a reference, and, 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 he, and he also saw it coming from a mile away. Right? Was that supposed to be a surprise? Because, well, I mean, uh, he was the I guy. Was he like, was the guy who the I had picked. Yeah. yeah. I, I had picked him as the traitor in the UK, but I didn't realize that he was the mastermind. That that no. lady, that Lady Mary's husband, that Mrs. Mary, what, Mr. Mary, was the uh, was the um, you know was the the villain. Yeah, I thought it was. I thought it was going to be like a famous, well known Scott Peter Capaldi. Also, would have been a good choice. Mm-hmm. Um, da- yeah, David Tennant would have been an excellent choice. Pete. Yeah, that's. Yeah. But uh, you know, little- robot time traveling, Colin Firth. I don't know. <laughs> like some real shocker. What? Why are you here? But by the okay, way, the, so, yeah, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. So we teased out kind of what it means to be a king's man and, and like the you know the the notion of uh the king and the monarchy and all all that kind of stuff. So like now let's talk about the shepherd, right? Oh okay, and like yeah. what his whole thing is, right? Like and some important things just to check here, right? Is that um, you know, he, he does have a little bit of a villain monologue thing, kind of sort of talking about his a little bit his <laughs> his, his worldview, which is uh, like like the plot of this movie, fairly incoherent. So like he 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 fashions himself as the shepherd. He has a flock of goats that he keeps on top of his um uh evil mountain fortress thing. Um, they seem to obey his command, uh, even though he's super cruel to them. Right. Yes. Um, so and, and when he when when he takes on the word, you know, the, the name of the shepherd, um, you, you can't help but to think of something biblical. Right. Like he's, you know, well, he's no good shepherd for sure. Um, but he is um, he, he's not but he's not really leading a flock per se. Right. Like the, the flock doesn't extend to like um, a, a metaphor of ruling over a large population. Right. He just wants Scotland to be independent. 
doesn't necessarily want to be the leader of Scotland, right? So, like, like uh, Peter Matt, like, like, tease us out here. Like, why is he the shepherd? What do the animals really represent? Well, I oh, mean, Matt, do you have an idea? Yeah, I think this, I mean, I think this is like, well, you, what you have is like dueling shadowy cabals, right? And I think the, the, the point I was trying to get at before I got a story of my life, I got, I got a little diverted was that, um, it's important in the, the latter, which are the earlier Kingsman movies that the, the clothes are outmoded, um, in the same way that like clerical outfits are outmoded, but that they represent or like nuns outfits, you know, in, in Catholicism, female religious wear like what would have been like normal clothes for, I don't know, 12th century Italian widows or something like that, that, that like, uh, the, because they're, they're one of the things that, that, you know, we can kind of conclude from Pete's, um, kind of rumination on, on what is a Kingsman is that they're a kind of priesthood. You know, they're like, they're serving a higher authority. They are kind of out of time. They're out of, uh, the, the hustle and bustle of, of normal politics. And they're supposed to be a kind, a kind of priesthood. And so like all this shepherd stuff, like you, you kind of have a bad shepherd and a good shepherd, you know, that, that like, um, uh, the, and who's the, you know, who's the sort of right one, right? And the, the, I guess, uh, for this English movie, the, in the, uh, uh, in the duel between England and Scotland, you know, the, it's, um, England, the, the English ones come, come out on top, right? And not the, not the, the nascent, uh, not the, you know, nascent Republicans among the, uh, among the, the, lower orders. Um, so I, I, I mean, I think this is a Henry IV situation where there's like a good, good father and bad father, you know, good shepherd and bad shepherd. And, and the point is to sort of choose between them. At least that's, and, and that's why, that's why I think like, um, you know, that's why I think that there are a lot of things that, that sort of rhyme, but they're done in a bad register by Mr. Mary and done in a good register by Voldemort, right? Like Abraham was supposed to sacrifice his son. Uh, well, you know, um, the, I, I forget the character's name, but the, the villain, uh, slaughters a goat. You know, mm-hmm. no, that's not, <laughs> that was not the ask, uh, right. <laughs> you know, Abraham, that was not, that, that was not, that wasn't what, the deliverable. Right. Exactly. Right. Uh, and, uh, and Ray finds let, lets his son go to war. Um, yeah, that's the whole, that's the whole, uh, you know, that's, that's my whole read on it anyway. I don't know, Pete, did you see it in a, in a different way than I did? Yeah, oh, I mean, sure, a little bit. One thing I think is there's a pun at play. There's a joke happening, which is that he has a ring that has a crook on it. So he's, he's got a crook ring, which is pretty funny. Uh, but uh, but I think that the there's the degradation of people, you know, lambs to the slaughter, right? Is is uh, the we've talked about shepherds before? And how like it is the job of a shepherd is actually pretty difficult because lambs, you know, sheep love to find ways to kill themselves. Um, and, uh, and, and they also are kind of big and tough to herd sometimes. And so the idea that the sheep are just sort of this passive way of referring to people who are kind of helpless and unaware of what's going on, um, is, is not particularly realistic to the notion of being a shepherd, but I think it comes into play when this movie at least implied a little bit. Um, I don't think he's supposed to, I think the fact that he's a Scottish nationalist is convenient in the moments where he says it, but he also has a monologue where he says that World War II accomplishes like more than his wildest dreams, right? Uh, in World just War a few I. short years. World yeah. War One, sorry, com- accomplishes more than just his wildest dreams uh, in just a few short years, and it doesn't get him anywhere closer to Scottish independence. So, like, I think he's also just supposed to want bad things for people. Also, after he dies, his organization continues, and none of them are Scottish. So it's not clear how the Scottish independence movement is kind of involved with any of this. Yeah, before uh, we before ball. we shut this down, we we probably have to talk about the after credit scene. The worst after credit scene in the history of after credit scenes. Were That's, you guys with me on that one? Yeah, I thought it was the worst. Yeah, yeah. Hundo P. Hundo P. Hundo P. Uh, it was the worst. It was the worst after credit scene. 
Um, I mean, I like, I pick up millennial, uh, not even millennial. That's like zoomer slang from people I work with. And I like how I infect everyone with it. Remember, <laughs> remember whenever, remember when I had everyone going around saying artisanal for the longest time, you know what? You think that's how that word is pronounced now. And you have to check yourself when you read it so that you don't say it the way that I convinced you it did to be. But Hundra, Hundra P, my D. And you know, my D is my P because that's for Pete. Pete, I'm sorry. Uh, worst, what? worst after credits season. Uh, yes. Worst after credits scene. Uh, absolutely. Can can you describe what happens with with Daniel Bruy, uh, who's uh, you know who's Baron there? Zemo or is, yeah, Baron Zemo. Is, yeah, yeah. So for furthering the uh, the, the Captain Falcon uh, connection going on in this movie. So if you thought that World War One made for a good Kingsman movie. What if I told you there could be a sequel because there's another world war that happens? What? Right? <laughs> and we are found. Hey, Pete, introduced- I did yeah. not see that coming. Oh, no. Uh, we are introduced when when uh, when, of course, our, you know, the whole Scottish independence goat farming thing doesn't work out. The evil organization continues and we are treated to a scene between Baron Zemo uh, and Lenin where they talk about their organization needing a right a right fist and a left fist or something um and they introduce of course sexy hitler who's the character <laughs> yep. in the yep. next Kingsman mm-hmm. movie in yeah. case you at all thought that this should be something to be excited about as if as if it's like as if it's a spoiler that hitler was involved in the second world war in some way and is bad in case in case it's like oh my goodness they just showed us a young boy getting murdered they could show us more young boys getting murdered. <laughs> like what? Uh, what? What's going yeah. on? Um, the movie starts with a concentration camp and ends with Hitler. Um, and, uh, and and in between is a whole lot of nonsense. And that, but yeah, yeah. and that doesn't that doesn't really. Yeah, sorry. Go ahead. It doesn't really speak well for the kind of nobility of purpose that Ray Fine seems to represent. You know. Yeah, and I mean it, the thing is that Hitler is introduced in the after credit scene as a person in this extended universe, right? In the same general vibe that you might expect to see like a villain from the Batman rogues gallery show up for the first time in Gotham, right? Um, but of course, Hitler was a real dude. And a lot of these people were real uh, and were responsible for a great deal of death and suffering. But the notion that like we're supposed to be excited that Hitler is here. And, right. and I think, yeah. I think like, oh man, they're going to go. do Hitler. That's something to get jazzed about. Like, oh, look, did you notice that, that, uh, that there's going to be another Ant-Man movie? <laughs> you know, like, wow, oh man. Nick Fury with his eye patch. Yeah. And there's nothing about the way Hitler is presented that suggests anything like fun or campy or interesting. It's not like zombie Hitler. It's not robot Hitler, right? It's not like, you know, we're not talking like bionic commando here, right? It's not like a brain in a jar. That's Hitler, right? It's, it's, uh, there's any number of ways that introducing Hitler in an after credit sequence could be actually surprising, but no, it's just merely the existence of Hitler as a young man in and of itself is supposed to like create narrative energy for the next guys. What if they made a movie with Hitler in it? Oh, Has anyone thought of doing that before? No, I think what's I think what's planned. There's at least one more Kingsman movie planned, and it is called uh, Kingsman: The Blue Blood, and it is a conclusion of the the Colin Firth uh, extended universe, the Firthiverse. Taryn so Taryn Egerton Egerton. Oh, 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 so so it's going to be in the present day. Yeah, it's going. I think we're going back. I don't think there is a a World War II movie contemplated. Um contemplated right now yeah oh that's good so 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 the way i would do it thinking about it now the way i would do it is i would just have there be like old baron zemo and he has a secret layer and he has a brain in a jar he has a whole bunch of brains in jars and you like pan out and it's like lenin matahari rasputin and hitler right and then like mega shark or something (laughs) (laughs) colin firth is what the last one says or something like that i don't know there's just it's just too grounded, right? It's just it, it invites the audience too much to express like unmitigated enthusiasm for the presence of Hitler, which is something that I still feel like is improper in polite society. And <laughs> Kingsmen should do better, um, or root society. Uh, yeah, we are we are we are Oxfords, not rogues. Let's let's name people who would have been more fun to reveal in that after credit scene. Let's go around the circle and let's each name maybe like three people 
that would have been, but one at a time, that would have been more fun to reveal in that after credit scene than Hitler. Sure. Uh, so, okay. So, you know, I, Matt, you want to go first? I'll, okay. I'll, I'll go first. Okay. Uh, all right. I've been... I've been, uh, uh, you know, I've been, um, you know, f- uh, fulminating <laughs> in my lab on how to, you know, uh, uh, crush the, the decadent artistic movements taking over, uh, taking over Europe, the, the, the aesthetics and the symbolists and Walter Pater and the, you know, all, all those, uh, uh, decadent, you know, d- uh, you know, little, what like sorry excuses for men and here is my new protege ezra pound (laughs) okay so ezra pound i'll (laughs) say for my first one elvis (laughs) (laughs) that's that's anachronistic that's not elvis okay it's an evil scheme it can happen whatever it's baby elvis <laughs> and he's adorable. I thought oh. hard about someone who would be alive during that. Time. Okay. When, when was Elvis born? <laughs> but we can have the after credit scene happen later. Maybe it's like clone Elvis. Elvis was born in 1935, so nowhere near the beginning. Of okay, I'll go with my next one. Shaggy too dope from the from the uh, insane cloud posse. No, 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 no. Okay, fine. You, Mark, you say somebody. Okay, so I don't know exactly the the studio provenance of this was because it was a 20th century um, studios, not Senator Fox, but 20th century studios joint, but it was on HBO Max. But like, how great of studio shit would it be, <laughs> Walt Disney? <laughs> Yes, yeah, perfect. Yeah, exactly. Perfect. Perfect. Gets carted out. Yeah, it's still Walt Disney is the one who's introduced, right? Um, oh man, who who else? Oh, Matt, it's your turn. Who else would it be? I did, I, I shot my shot with uh, right, with fine. Ezra okay. Pound. I feel like that was a, <laughs> I feel like that was a good choice. I didn't. All right, uh, fair enough, fair enough, fair enough. I just think that it could have been, you know, it could have been a lot of people, and it would have been better and more interesting. And I think that's the movie's greatest sin, even above and beyond Rasputin Beaches and you know weird tonal shifts, is a sort of. Uh, casual endorsement of Hitler that I just am not okay with, <laughs> especially in a movie that's very critical of concentration camps from, from the jump. Um, so I do better at Kingsman. I don't want, I better not see sexy Hitler in the next one or I'm going to be mad. Okay. What about, what about like uh what about a, uh, either Albert Einstein or uh, I, actually Einstein is kind of fits the Kingsman vibe. Uh, yeah. You know, so uh, Einstein born, 1879 totally possible yeah yes yeah einstein yeah, so einstein since so einstein is it is it twin einsteins and one of them has a goatee right like good einstein and evil einstein <laughs> oh man this just makes me think of the red alert plot which is just one of the greatest plot hooks of all time um we've talked about that right and we talked about the red talking alert about plot the old real command and conquer red alert uh computer game yeah, we yeah, have yeah. indeed talked about it, and I think yeah. watched together a YouTube video of the yeah. of the cutscenes. Yes, and it has a certain Kingsman esque vibe to it. I think, uh. or perhaps Kingsman is a little bit comparable to that. But at any rate, sure. Um, the Kingsman is uh, should be really sad at the end, but instead, there's lots of triumphant music playing as the men who've all lost their sons meet to dedicate their money to a, uh, a, a paramilitary organization. Right. We got to, <laughs> we got to pull the ripcord on this, <laughs> on this parachute as we're jumping out of a biplane and, but, but fall through the wing, fall through the fabric wing of the, of the biplane. Um, thank you for listening to that. If you watched, uh, if you watched the King's man, God bless you. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's, that's, uh, that's uh, a lot to do for the podcast. And I can't think of another, uh, another reason you might have done it. So, uh, you know, thanks very much, Pete and Mark, for podcasting, uh, podcasting with me. Um, we'll be back next week with more Overthinking It podcast. Until then, you can visit us on the web at overthinkingit.com, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny. It, it probably, probably doesn't, doesn't deserve. Peter. Peter, can you hear me? What? What? Yeah, I can hear you. What's up? It's me, Harvey. Hi, Harvey. You forgot me for the after credits scene, but here I am. <laughs>
slow clap for that one. Golf clap. Make it classy. Manners make it a man. 